in effeminate, I don't know what, but nothing I would want to follow. Or one of the, you know, he, he just throws these things. I'm not going to squirt anymore. We've, we've done that now. Um, but I do want you to think about this. Paid, paid two bucks for these, you know. Um, in terms of whether it represents your faith, represents how effective, what can Jesus do that really impacts and change? Because if you don't believe that Jesus heals, and you don't believe that God speaks today, and you don't believe that you can experience him, and you don't believe that he makes any changes, then basically your faith is this. It's, it's plastic and it's pretty ineffective. If you believe that your life in the real world uh, is the reality and that God is just the sort of, you know, that's the romantic version, then you haven't heard Jesus. You've just encountered religion. And Jesus is far more interested in us knowing him. And that's what I want to talk about and us spend some time on this morning. And I hope you'll be encouraged. I hope you'll be smiling and, re- and rocking at the end of this and going, yeah. Oh, God, please come in power. The word made flesh is what we're talking about. We talked about it when Jesus was born in a crib. We talked about the Holy Spirit coming and filling flesh. We talked about the disciples coming from this jittery bunch of people who followed Jesus to people who would go into the marketplace and declare his lordship, be flogged for him, and then go and pray again and say, Lord, bring it on. We want to declare you, even if we get beaten. Huge transformations. The word made flesh so that the flesh could become full of the word that would be empowered by the Spirit. Last week we talked about being filled with the Spirit of God to make a difference. We used helium as an example of effortless flying. And blowing up a balloon and letting it go is really pathetic living. You know, up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And God calls us to live light, to walk light, to know that his burdens are easy and his yoke is easy. And we go, yeah, that sounds great. And he says, the reason it sounds great and it's not real for you and me is because you don't take the rest of my teaching seriously, which is, I will carry it. So everything about Jesus, he said, I can't do anything on my own. My father tells me what to do. He empowers me to do it. That's my secret for success. And I'm releasing it to you. You can do that as well. And so Christians are, are, are meant to be people with extraordinary power, extraordinary character, demonstrating joy and love and peace and patience and kindness in the midst of a bunch of people who don't know Jesus who demonstrate the exact opposite. It's not difficult to bear witness to the love of Jesus if you're surrounded with people trying to bear witness to the love of Jesus. The light shines in the darkness. The salt brings flavor. And so in Ephesians, Paul, who's chained up, as we heard, he writes to the Ephesians and he gives them that word about, there are lots of sermons about this. I think a lot of them are junk. I'll tell you why, because I think they've made this a rule again. Put on the armor of God and you will be defeated, you'll you'll be strong. You can put on the armor of God like David put on the armor that the king gave him. It didn't fit and it just impeded him. If you look at the armor, look at, let's just quickly look at this. Paul says to them, there's these last words to the Ephesians before he's, he, he's going to die eventually. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What does that mean? It means be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What does that mean? It means 
relax and don't rely on your own strength because you don't have much and you certainly are not going to defeat this battle with your strength. Be strong in the Lord. Be confident in him, not in yourself. So every time you feel inadequate, that's cool. Just say Jesus is adequate, so I'm okay. The company I keep determines the outcomes of the battles I have. Many of us are defeated because we actually believe we are powerless. We live with victim mentalities. We live with low self-esteem. We live with uh, very low expectations of what life should be. We live looking over the fence and saying, boy, I wish if only this was true and if that hadn't happened. And we live totally miserable. And then we ask Jesus to come and we sort of grab onto him and we live this victim, almost Jesus life. And last week we were talking about we have to get out of the boat. There's a point where God says, come. And so Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What are the devil's schemes? The devil's scheme is to kill you, to destroy you. I always say you go to a place like Israel and everywhere you go, the men and women are carrying guns because they are in a war zone and they believe. They're armed for battle everywhere they go. I'm not making comments on Israel. I'm merely saying they know they're in a battle and they, they prepare themselves. If you go to Africa as a missionary or you go there when Pat goes or you go to, to Africa for something, you get inoculated against all the kinds of diseases that they uh, believe they're going to get. They inject into you antibodies so that basically you, when you go there, you'll have a resistance to the infections that are possibly there because you're not used to them. When you know that you're going into places where there's danger, you tend to wisely do something about it. And what Paul's saying to us and what Jesus said very clearly is, life on earth is a war zone. Life on earth is a war zone and many of us are sort of virtual prisoners. And that's not the point of, if you come to Jesus' ministry, we're going to talk about these two realms it's much more effective if you know what's going on. Then you can do something about it. Merely putting your head in the sand saying, I don't believe that, there's no war zone. Okay, enjoy your life. But if you're like most people in Port Alberni in Canada and the rest of the world, you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with anger, you've got difficult relationships, and life sucks in much of the, unless you have a lot of money and it'll suck for other reasons. And I'm not just putting this on. The real world is not that great. In fact, the real world is a real struggle. People are terribly insecure. They're, always, they're often having fun in order to stop, not have to think. And women to be those who actually demonstrate a quality of life that says, boy, what have you got? I'd love that. I'd love to have peace without drugs. I'd love to have joy without having to lose my mind. I'd like to have one relationship that doesn't go sour. I'd love to have a family. I mean, I could talk like this for ten minutes and make us cry. Because the real world is in pain. The real world is desperately in pain. And Jesus looks into the real world and has enormous compassion. But he says there's no point in having... What would it be like if everybody here was diseased 
with something and I came in and I was a doctor and I said um, I've got the answer to your disease see me here afterwards I wonder if you'd sit there and say well Lord do you want me to go up or not or whether you'd run up and say I want to be there I want it so when Jesus came into the world he said I have the answer to the cry of the human heart And Paul's saying, put on the armor. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. He says, put the belt of truth around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place. Put on your feet the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Use the shield of faith which uh, extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Do you know all of these things are relational? They actually, all those weapons come out of relationship with Jesus. It's all relational. Everything's relational. If you know who you are and you know the company you keep, you are strong. I'm going to get quite emotional today. I mean, like passionate. Just warning you. Feel like it. Do you feel like you're being passionate today? Not really? I'll wake you up a little bit? Yeah. Stir you up? Brad and Julia have got to remember this for the rest of their lives. So we've got to go on, you know. I'm going to talk about... Uh, so, so when somebody gets sick, somebody comes to you and they get sick, Let's, uh, Fred, because Fred's got a thick skin. Fred get, comes to me and gets sick. And he says, I'm getting sick. I say, you, you what? You get sick? You jerk? And I sort of start harassing him. And the guy's just told me he's sick. No, what you do is go, oh, it's Freddie, what's wrong? And then you go, you know, where's it hurting and all that stuff. And you find out, say, that he's got something wrong with him. You know, that needs medication. You go and you get the medication. You don't beat him up because he's sick. You go to the cause of the sickness and you minister to it. That's what Jesus wants to do with you and me. He wants to minister to the cause of our issues. What happens is that a lot of the time we won't let him. Because when I come up and I... No, I'll leave you there for a minute. We'll come back to that. There's this interesting moment where Jesus, in Mark chapter 11, he curses a fig tree. In Mark chapter 11, uh, he's with his disciples and they've been in Jerusalem. Verse 20, I'm going to read from. Mark 11, verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the... Uh, well, actually, no, that's, I better go a bit further than that. Um, in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. 
Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Then they carry on to Jerusalem. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. And Jesus said, Have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. How on earth does all that hang together? Jesus, I want to, you remember Jesus went to, um, let me give you a few verses here. Mark seven nineteen is where, I'm just setting up something. Mark seven nineteen. That's wrong. Anyway, the, the passage I'm looking for is where, where um, Jesus basically says, if, if a tree doesn't bear fruit, it will be cut down. I want to talk to, I, I'm just trying to bring into play another aspect of God, and that is his expectation, his judgment, and uh, sometimes his anger. In John 15, he talks about, I am the branches and you are the, I am the brine and you, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you don't bear fruit, you will be cast out, I'll cut you off. There's a whole area here of God saying, I have expectations and I'm going to do some things. And if you don't bear fruit, I will cut you off. Now think about a farmer. What's the point of the farmer? The farmer's desire is to bring fruit out of what he grows, right? So the, the farmer plants things. What does he do? He makes sure that the soil is fertile and he begins to care for that crop. When something attacks the crop, what does he do? If there's a disease in a vineyard, what does he do? He goes home and he says, you won't believe it, there's a disease in the vineyard, I'm pulling all the vines out. And his wife says, honey, sit down. Calm down. Let's attack the disease, not the vine. So he goes to look for what attacks that particular fungus and he attacks the fungus and saves the vine. He attacks the fungus and saves the vine. The vine understands that the treatment around it and over it and in it is to eradicate the fungus. Not to be taken personally, the farmer doesn't like me. The farmer's being nasty to me. The farmer is saving the vine's life. When a vine abides in the farmer and trusts with the farmer, the farmer is free to come against those things that destroy the vine and the vine is set free to bear fruit. In the Christian world, every time God tries to come against something that's destroying your life, 
you and I get angry and say we get, we, we're feeling uncomfortable, I don't want to be embarrassed, I, I take exception to the way this is happening, and we shut it down. So the fungus carries on growing. There are those of us here who are covered in fungus in areas of our life, and the reason it's not going away is because we won't let God do it. And we're thinking that God's frustration at the fungus is at us. And it's different. I will show you how. When Jesus cursed that fig tree, you've got to read read the scriptures in context. Jesus had better things to do than go around looking at wayside plants. There's no fruit. Curse you. I'm the son of God. Look what I can do. He wasn't doing that. Do you know what he was doing? He was using that fig tree as a symbol. Because in between those, those passages I read, you have Jesus going into Jerusalem and into the temple, which was God's house. And the temple had become a place. On, the reading, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus went in and for one of those moments in his life, he displayed anger, a real anger. He took out a whip and he said, get out. Why? Because they had taken the things that were God's instructions for purity in the temple and then made them into marketable items with, with uh, franchises, if you will. So I'm the temple priest and I say, uh, John Parker, you need to have three doves and three lambs and that's the sacrifice. But you can only buy the sacrifice of lambs from this, these dealers here and they're putting their prices up. So for you to obey God, you have to, to, to pay them and then you have to come and, and basically it's become a totally distorted, dysfunctional religious experience and expression virtually raping people in the name of God. And Jesus went into that house and he was furious at, the, at what the system was doing. And he let it be known such. The other time when Jesus was very, very angry was at religious leaders. And you can look in the seven woes where he said, Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. Because you put rules on people and you put heavy burdens on people and you, you're like whited sepulchres. You, you, you look good on the outside. You, you strut around like you want everybody to, to look at you and admire you, but inside you're like dead men's bones. It's pretty tough stuff. Have you ever thought about God's anger? The passion of God? You want to get a handle on this? Take your child. Remember your child, maybe when they're six years old, five years old, Mitchell's age, Vika's age. They come up here. And you entrust them to me. And I, I pick them up and I scare them. And I bully them. And I start shouting at them. And what rises up in you? What rises up in you? Anger? Passion? You want to get up and say, stop doing what you're doing. 
That's what Jesus is doing in the temple. We have become so numb, we don't know how to get angry about the things that God is angry about. We are so, so numb, we don't care. And God would say, so what will move you? What will get you passionate? What's the point of this? You see, I can speak to you this morning and you can go out of here almost feeling beaten up, couldn't you? I hope not, but you could. If we, if we, if we took this down one road, you could feel beaten up. But what happens if I say to you, that anger and passion of Jesus is totally directed at what is attacking his people. And so he can say, uh, he, he can curse that fig tree and carry on walking with his disciples as if nothing had happened. Because he's not angry at them. He can go and he can speak words of really powerful uh, anger in the temple. And then he can go to the cross and hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why is that? Because he hates the fungus. He doesn't hate the vine. He doesn't hate you or me at all. He went to the cross to deal with what cripples us. But he does get very angry at what destroys you and me. And what happens with you and me is that we think when that anger is stirring in us, where there's a battle between good and evil in us, we take it personally. And we go, oh, God doesn't like me. Because the way Satan fights is he turns it in on you so that you'll protect him. Most of us are defending or protecting evil because it feels like it's us. Are you following me? And so we live this life of water pistol Christianity. There's no power in it. Jesus is on your side and my side. I want to follow that guy who walked into the temple and said, Enough. I want to follow the guy who went to the cross and said, I'm not giving in to you. I'll trust my father with this body. You can kill me. And he rises from the dead three days later and says, My father is faithful. God is looking for a church and a Christianity that is much more powerful than most of us have ever experienced. And so he can say to Peter, you remember when Peter starts saying to him, don't go and suffer, Lord, and he says to me, get behind me, Satan. He doesn't say, get behind me, Peter. It's what's motivating and energizing Peter that he's speaking to. So he loves Peter, but he attacks what is going on inside Peter. Peter doesn't even realize he's saying it. And we will see change in our lives when we allow Jesus to begin to speak to that in us which is at the root of some of our conditions and not be afraid. There is huge power in God's Spirit. And so what does he say in Mark 11? After that, when, when they've, they've seen that fig tree, he says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to you, this mountain, go throw into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe what he says will happen, it will be done for him. 
If I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, it will be yours. It's not the name it and claim it. But Jesus always wants to say yes to things that will bring life to his spirit. He always wants to say yes to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And it's how do we receive it and walk in it. That's, the, that's our challenge. Some of us struggle with depression. Some of us struggle with anger. And I won't go around and ask. Anger is a huge issue. Jesus was angry at Satan for what he was doing. And he still is. Our anger, anger that is energized by evil, has us as the center. Has us at the center. In other words, when it's not of Jesus, I am indignant. I am blaming. I am accusing you. I am blaming my circumstances. There's a huge amount of anger in our culture. What happens if God says, give me your anger? Underneath anger, anger that's not expressed outward, goes inward, and underneath most depression is anger. If you want to get a hold on depression, look at anger. And you stay in depression when your anger never gets expressed because you actually now don't even believe you have the right to speak. And so your identity is so small that you hardly exist. But there's something in the Spirit of God that's placed in you that says it's not right. And guess who energizes that stuff? That's why sometimes the hardest thing to do is to ask for help. And what Jesus wants us to discover as we ask for help is that we are not meant to be like that and we need help to be set free. And sometimes we need a very powerful encounter with God's Spirit to actually get rid of that fungus at the root. That's part of what the Jesus ministry evenings are about. There are many, if not all of us here, who are living in a status quo making the best of our lives. And Jesus says, I'm not asking you to make the best of your life. I've come to set you free. I've come to set you free. And I want to work out that freedom. And I want you to know that I love you and I'm never angry with you. I never speak to you like I did to that fig tree. But I will speak to that which causes that condition in you. And that's why he says to everyone when they come to him, he says, what do you want me to do? What would you like? And because it's a thing that goes on through our whole lives, God tends to bring things up little by little by little because we can't deal with everything. And so what, is, what he wants to do in you today, you will have a sense of by what's going on inside you. Every, every single one of us has something going on inside us. And so one of the things we learn from God is 
Lord, what are you saying to me right now? And he might say to you, um, I, want to, I want to minister to that that's in you right now. Anything that's dark or negative or struggle. And you want to go, no, not now. It's too awkward. And so you put it off. And it's another week of crippledness. And I believe Jesus is passionate about setting his people free. And so Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power so you can stand against the devil. You don't have to be afraid. But when you've been held prisoner, I remember when I was in the South African army, um, you know, when you've been in a place for nine months where people shout at you, you're very restricted when you're first out of the army, you don't know what it's... You kind of go, I'm getting my life back. But it feels awkward because nobody's shouting at you and you can sleep in or whatever. And so it takes time to adjust. I've said to somebody, you know, how long do you want to be depressed? Because we make friends with our issues. I used to run abuse groups and we would come to the point where it would say, so how long would you like to be a victim? And I get really angry. But the issue was, well, if I'm not a victim, then I have to be responsible. So actually, I prefer my addiction. And never in their lives have they considered the fact that possibly they might actually be called by God to be responsible for their lives. And so you have to call them to rise up and take the life that they're terrified of taking because they've never had it before. And so we help one another and say, of course you can. Let's, let's fly a little bit here. And so you help each other grow strong in believing that you are of value. We need one another. And Jesus will set us free. All of us. There's all kinds of stuff here that Jesus says, I've come to set you free. I'm going to get really angry at what's holding you down, but I love you passionately enough to get angry. Because you see, you are like this little kid that was being bullied up here. I see you and I see the misery. I see the suffering. I see the secret sins. I see the stuff and I get really angry. But I'm not getting angry at you. I'm getting angry at the one who cripples you. And so I'm wanting to encourage this morning, don't be afraid of Jesus. When he's coming at you looking angry, he's coming to what's holding you. That's where the anger is. For you, he loves you. One more thing and then we finished. I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it will be yours. And when you stand praying, listen to this, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive, so that your Father in heaven can forgive you. God takes this forgiveness thing real seriously. If you want peace, if you want freedom from anxiety, many of the roots of lack of those things are in unforgiveness, which is really anger. And the way you do it is you basically start saying, Jesus, here I am, I choose to forgive. Which does not mean uh, you meant this to happen. It does not mean you wanted this to happen. But I choose to forgive so and so. And he says, all I ask for you to do is give me permission and I will fill up your choice with the reality of forgiveness. I don't care what your feeling is right now. It's your choice. And you say, Lord, I have this anger in me. And he says, well, give me permission to take that anger from you. How do I do that? I ask you to forgive me for my anger. He said, you got your anger twisted. You're getting angry at people. 
You're getting angry at people. When you get angry at people, you keep on accusing them. But they're being played by the enemy. So why don't you actually realize they haven't got a clue what they're doing really? So they're just passing on their own inadequacies. So start dealing with the enemy who is the evil one, not the person in whom the enemy is being expressed. Check your anger out. See how far you get with Jesus when you start talking about your anger. I could write a book on anger. And he just stands there and says, when you're finished, I'll talk to you. Because in the end, he says, you lay it down. So if we want freedom, and uh, some of us want freedom, let's ask God this morning to take anger and depression and whatever else might be in our hearts that, that sits there and we can't do anything about it. And Jesus says, I can. Why don't you let me release my anger against that which is crippling you and see what happens. Let me love you and we'll deal with that. That's like giving the kid the medicine, you know. It's holding the kid and giving them the medicine. Let's stand. The reason I ask us to stand is to wake some of, us, some of you up who are sleeping. Uh, the other is I don't, uh, you know, there's no real need to embarrass people and say those with anger issues stand up and those with denial issues stand up. Well, um, we talked right at the beginning about engaging. And I think if we don't give the Holy Spirit a moment to minister to us, we're just talking theory, even though God's working anyway. I mean, he, he doesn't need my permission. But I do know that God loves declarations and he loves to be invited to do things. And part of our standing is saying, Lord, I want to step into something more. And there's, every week there's always more. That's why we stand every week. And I believe this, this morning God wants to encourage us in the areas of anger and depression and things that hold us down emotionally. And to see the difference between his anger that fights against the cause of what we're struggling with and loves us. And therefore, he also wants to minister to people who are afraid of him if you give him any more of your life. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, whatever you're wanting to have us give to you this morning, we would just have the freedom to give it to you. Now, you have to do this. But this in, the, in this time, I pray for the power of God to be present here. And I speak against the work of the evil one. And I declare victory over this body in the name of Jesus. I break the power of anger where it's rooted in the demonic. And I break the power of depression in the name of Jesus Christ. I speak freedom from depression and anger. And any other emotions that you know that you're a prisoner to, lust, in the name of Jesus, I break the power of lust. The fear of control, control issues, in the name of Jesus, we break the power of control, of mind control and thoughts, of indifference and apathy, in the name of Jesus, we break that. Now, I can break with words here and declare them, and you can sit there and tune out. Well, guess what? Nothing happens. It's, for your, it's yours to receive. In the name of Jesus, receive the victories. What does that mean? Jesus, I give you my depression. I don't even believe this will work, but I don't know where else to go, so I give you my depression. 
And I ask you to lift it from me and come to the root of it and break it. Jesus, I give you my anger. I give you that anger that wells up in me or that victimizes all the time. I live this life and identity of a victim and I don't even understand it, but I give it to you and I choose one of being loved by you. I choose to live in your faithfulness and your love. And I receive your peace. I receive your lightness. I receive your spirit that Paul talks about. Receive from Jesus all that he wants to give you. You have to do it. No one else can do it. If everything is in your head and your heart is numb, then ask him to soften your heart. Ask him to give you feelings, give you experiences of his presence and his love for you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And just like you vacuum your house, sometimes he comes around and says, I want to clean this place up a bit. I only clean up what I love. And if you're afraid of the things that you struggle with, then Jesus, I pray that you release a confidence. I call out of your spirit a confidence in Jesus it will stand up against that which would oppress you. You tell Jesus that you, you want life, not death. You want to step into what he has for you. You want to step into his identity for you, his strength for you, his confidence. He's got things to do through you. He's got people to bless through you. He's got people who are sick and you are the key to their health. And he says, I just wait to release what I have through you. If you're somebody who's self-absorbed, it's all about you. Give that to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm boring. Help me lay down my life and let me be used by you to bless others. Open my eyes to the needs of others. I speak against an impoverished spirit that says I can't do anything. May I know that I am filled with the life of Jesus and I have much to give. Bless what you want to do in me and through me for others, that others might live. Speak to rebellion in the name of Jesus. Spirits of rebellion. That if I say jump from the front, you'll sit down. If I say stand up, you'll sit down. If I say sit down, you'll stand up. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. And Jesus says, I'm speaking to you this morning and I'm telling you what to do and I'm asking you to submit to me as Lord and Savior. And I want you to deal with your rebellious attitude and lay it at the cross right now in the name of Jesus. Some of us need to do that today. And Father, I pray that you will release the incredible love of Jesus in this place that will defeat all evil. Receive the love of Jesus, his mighty, mighty power for you. Everything he has is yours. 
He absolutely adores you. And he will win victories in your life as you just allow him to love you. So receive his love for yourself. And receive all that he's going to do in your life this week. And know that you have one who will fight with passion for you. That's why he gets angry. But he doesn't get angry for you. So don't be scared of him. Fear not, fear not, fear not. Fear not, fear not. Holy Spirit, will you just continue to minister to us your faithfulness. And we look forward to the victories that are going to break out. Because Jesus is Lord. In his name we pray and declare it. Amen. Let's, let's sing a song that's uh, following. It's a ministry song, really, which is uh, Welcome into this house. This is, your house. this is your house. And let it be a, a, a prayer of invitation to the Lord.